Welcome to the Poultry Health Today podcast, where we talk all health, all the time. Here, engaging interviews with today's leading industry experts. Hosted by Poultry Health Today editors, podcast episodes highlight the latest ideas, insights, and advice to improve poultry health, welfare, performance, and food safety. Hi, I'm Joe Feeks, editor of Poultry Health Today, and with me is Dr. Bob O'Connor. He is a Senior Vice President of Technical Services for Foster Farms in California. Thanks for coming by, Bob. Thank you. I know you've given a lot of interviews about salmonella, so we're not going to talk about that today, but I do want to talk with you about avian coryza. Uh, we think of that as a layer disease. I know there have been some outbreaks in the mid-Atlantic and northeastern states, but in California, you're seeing it in broilers. What's going on? Correct. Um, actually, I'm glad that you uh, introduced me as someone who talks about salmonella a lot, because in my uh, almost 25 years as a poultry veterinarian, I would say salmonella has dominated my world. But prior to getting into salmonella, I did do a lot of work with your basic poultry diseases. Um, and I've been at Foster Farms since 1998, and I never saw coryza ever <coughs> until 2017. So there's been a very long period out in California where we didn't have any coryza. Um, I hadn't learned about it in school as a disease that even affects younger birds, broilers. You would maybe think about it in broiler breeders or in layers, but you know, older birds. Um, but in 2017, we started having breaks in young broilers. Um, sometimes and how would you define young? Sometimes as young as uh, mid-20 days, um, which tends to be the worst case scenario. Uh, when they end up processing. And how did you know it was coryza? Uh, actually, the associate veterinarian uh, took them to the lab and it was diagnosed as coryza. Uh, I mean, it kind of comes on as a respiratory disease. Mm -hmm. um, so no, we didn't know that it was coryza at first. I, I think the diagnosis on the first flock came at right at about the time they processed and they processed with uh, terrible air saculitis. So. How did they get it? We have three very big neighbors who are table egg operations. Um, and they had been breaking with coryza, even though they were vaccinating, for a couple of years, is what we learned um, from about 2015. So <clears throat> how we actually got it from our neighbors, we still don't know. But I would say the fact that our neighbors have coryza and continue to have outbreaks with it um, has then transmitted to us. And how is it transmitted, do you know? Again, I think that's where um, we've tried to do a lot of research with UC Davis on the kind <clears> of <throat> the fragility of the bacteria. Um, I mean, by the books, it's very fragile. Um, but it, it appears as if, um, because we looked for a lot of vectors, we looked for a lot of mechanical human vectors and really could not find a source. Um, so at this point, we're actually... Um, explaining it as something that can be carried via wind. And when I say that, I mean vectors like if people spread manure, if people transport manure, um, you know, tiny pieces of manure with that bacteria on it, we believe um, are carried by the wind and then into our ranches. And what did you do with these infected birds? I know it's a bacterium. Could you use a, an antibiotic? Um, so we have tried very, very much so to use uh, an antibiotic, but about the only one available to us um, because uh, <clears throat> I think a lot of people believe that poultry veterinarians have 100 antibiotics at their disposal. We don't have very many, actually, to use in broilers. And what we have used is tetracycline, a lot of it. Through um, the water? Yeah. yeah. 
uh, and also the feed. And for instance, when we find a flock that's diagnosed very early in their 20s, we will also run it through the feed. But it has basically been refractory to tetracycline. And actually, when I've spoken to veterinarians in the layer industry, they've essentially said that, that tetracycline won't touch it. So I would say that um, it has not been effective to try and treat for the disease. And remember, I'm talking about broilers, so we can't vaccinate the broilers against coryza. The coryza vaccine that's available is a Bactrin. So it can be given, you know, injected to older, uh, like, pullets, breeder pullets or layer pullets, but not to broilers. One of the first approaches was not necessarily having to do with us, it was having to do with our neighbors. So really getting together with our egg-laying neighbors and talking to them about their situation with coryza, what do they think the cause of their outbreaks have been, um, working with UC Davis, working with vaccine companies. Really what we're trying to do is shore up the vaccine protocol that the egg layers are using. Um, because that's really been a big question is there were some changes in the product that was used by the egg laying industry in around 2014-15. Um, so then there's a question of is the current vaccine they're using effective or not? Um, the vaccine that had been used, which I was told by people in the industry was effective, um, it was discontinued for use in the U.S. So we've had to pull that vaccine, we've had to get approval and again, I don't work in the egg layer industry, but we have done that for our neighbors. Um, worked with vaccine companies. The vaccine company that manufactures the one that was previously used, but is still used internationally. We have um, worked with them, worked with UC Davis to get samples of that vaccine in so they can use it in a trial up at UC Davis, a challenge study, where they're using <clears throat> the original vaccine or the one that was previously used versus the one that is being used, um, challenging birds with, um, that have been vaccinated with both um, respectively, and then challenging them. So we're, we're kind of almost at the tail end of that trial. When a broiler flock is infected, the mortality towards the end of the flock is very, very high, um, but the amount of air sac salvage is, is tremendous in Lots the plant. Lots of condemnations. Yes. Yeah. yeah. And just the labor that goes into salvaging birds with that bad um, an air saculitis. Well, and I wanted to ask you more about that because you, uh, we'll we'll come back to these other things that you can do. But if if this was presenting in the broilers, at, you said like in in the twenties, like twenty some odd days. Yes, yeah, some of them have presented in the mid twenties. Some have presented more towards the end of like thirty five, thirty nine days. If they present at the end of the grow out, we're a lot better off. If they if they are diagnosed at age, I think the youngest was about age 22 days, mm -hmm. that's a wreck by the time it has gotten to the plant. So internally, I just talked about what we're doing externally, but internally we've strategized to try and pull those flocks in much earlier. So if they're diagnosed at <clears throat> 38 days and they're due to be processed, let's say at 48 days, well, we may process them at 40 days. And we, we've done a lot better with mortality in the field. We've done a lot better in the plant in terms of um, efficiencies because well, the air saculitis has been less. Yeah. What kind of mortality rates were you seeing? Oh, there's somehow, I mean, in an infected house, you can be pulling out 1,000 birds a day towards the end of the flock. So that, that's not a good number. Now, we've talked about your neighbors with layers, but what about your 
own broiler breeders? Do you have to look at maybe vaccinating them? We don't have any broiler breeders in California. Um, and it goes really to the topic that I'm talking about, which is that we are a community of poultry, not just broilers. So in the, before I got there, I would say in the early 90s, Foster Farms, because there were so many diseases passing, and again, I was not there, but legend holds that um, there were so many diseases passing between the broiler breeders that Foster Farms owned in California and our egg-laying neighbors that we just kind of gave up having broiler breeders in California and moved them to Arkansas and Colorado. It, I think it's a very good example of a disease that you kind of have to work as a community versus individually. Because we, we will never um, resolve it. We're, at this point, I would call it endemic. And until our neighbors no longer have out outbreaks, we will continue to suffer from it. Because even if you look at our northern complex, it's only one area of that complex where coryza um, has been found within our brothers. The whole, the whole other side of that complex, the whole other area where we grow birds, and there are no egg-laying facilities, they've never been infected. <laughs> now, I've read that the bacterium that causes coryza is highly susceptible to most disinfectants. Right. So is the answer to do a total clean-out and spray everything down? Yeah, so one of the interventions that we have done is we have absolutely done complete cleanouts. Um, we've also done studies at UC Davis with litter from infected broiler flocks and, and tried to see if that litter after uh, four hours, eight hours, 12 hours, 20 hours, if it's possible to infect broilers that are placed on it. And what we have found in the lab is we're not able to do that. So <clears throat> again, academically, it still seems like it's a very friable org organism, but in the field, um, apparently not. So I don't know if the dose that is traveling, you know, onto the ranches, mm -hmm. into the houses is just so great that organisms survive, but um, we, we've definitely seen it. And, and we've seen it actually on Certain farms, you know, they'll be infected, then they'll go two or three grow-outs, not infected. But then seasonally, you know, if you look at the fall and the spring when manure gets spread, then we'll see it again on those same ranches. What advice would you have for other poultry veterinarians who are uh, concerned about coryza getting into their flocks? Well, I, you know, one thing I would say is never say never, meaning even though on the books it's not really a disease that you would look to infect uh, broilers with, it's clearly possible that um, broilers become infected with it. And I should add, when I've spoken to poultry veterinarians, the ones who have actually experienced it in broilers, mm -hmm. they tend to be more um, south of the United States, so Mexico or South America. Um, <clears throat> so I shouldn't act as if it's never seen in broilers, um, because it has been, but in the United States, it's not. Um, but my first advice would be, you know, never say never. Um, because it can infect broilers. And then I would also say, um, but I know people are aware of this because if you look at diseases like ILT or AI, um, you're always kind of scoping out your neighbors. Um, but <clears throat> if you have broilers who are surrounded by um, more mature bird populations, you kind of need to have some surveillance on the disease issues going on in those populations because this is a great example of an older bird disease affecting, infecting younger birds. I should add, we, are, we have also been 
um, vaccinating our broilers, which is not common, uh, with an E. coli vaccine. So, really? yeah, I mean, E. coli is different, obviously, than the coryza bacteria, but <coughs> the, the air sacculitis, when you really look at it, is kind of a secondary um, infection brought on by E. coli as a result, kind of an opportunistic situation. So in trying to protect the birds from E. coli, um, we're sort of blunting the coryza infection. And we do feel like we've seen some progress with that. So That's mortality really has been less, air sacculitis has been less. To process birds earlier, and then birds that have been vaccinated against E. coli, that seems to have helped. But really the idea to use the E. coli vaccine, that came from uh, veterinarians in the later industry. Interesting. So again, it's kind of interplay between the two industries. Well, you continue to learn something new every day, huh? Yes. Well, we've been talking to Dr. Bob O'Connor. He's a veterinarian and senior vice president of technical services at Foster Farms in California. Thanks for coming by. Thank you. Thanks for listening to the Poultry Health Today podcast. To get the latest news and interviews delivered to your inbox twice a week, subscribe to our e-newsletter by visiting poultryhealthtoday.com join.